0: I know all the bad stuff about ADHD, I know all the bad stuff about dyslexia, but I've also spent a disproportionate amount of my life looking at, okay, so what's the benefit of that bad thing? What skill has that given me? What knowledge
1: has that given me? What experience? What perspective? Hello, it's Andrew May and welcome to another episode of the Strive Stronger podcast. The path of today's guest is nothing. It's nothing short of extraordinary. Picture this from failing every single, every single grade at school through to becoming one of Australia's leading business strategists and peak performance experts. Through his work, he's opened up about his journey with ADHD, dyslexia, and PTSD. He's come through over seven life-threatening situations. I'm gonna say that again, this is not a typo, seven life-threatening situations. So when you talk about resilience, when you talk about grit, when you talk about knuckling and getting on with it, this guy knows all about that. It's no wonder his podcast is called Unstoppable. He's dedicated to helping businesses flourish in whatever environment we find ourselves in. He's got one of the best small and big business brains in the country. Kerwin Ray, welcome to the podcast. Oh, Andrew, thank you. Mate, after that introduction, I feel like I should float in here. Like uh, I should have my Jesus robe on or something. I'm in Byron Bay, so I would fit right in at the moment. Well, we're going to talk about Byron Bay, but before, I've got to pull you up on this. I was had the honor of sharing your stage of one of your events. Yes. And for those listening who want to kickstart, who want strategy, uh, we'll give everyone your details at the end today about where sure. to find you. But I was on the stage with Dr. Tom Buckley going, Who are these fervent, passionate <laughs> business owners? And and I remember you telling a story uh, before you introduced me and you said, With one of my life threatening experiences. And I went, What? 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 What of? But look, you've had seven life threatening experiences. And look, we've yeah, got a about an on. hour today. We can't go through all of them, we? But are you okay to go back to the first one and share <laughs> yeah. what it was and yeah. what did you learn from that?
0: Look, I think the first one I experienced was probably um, the most profound in terms of the way it impacted my life and my psychology and I, and, and my story. Um, I got drunk as every teenager does, uh, but the first time I got drunk, I was 15, I was with a couple of mates, 19 and 20 uh, on the hill at the dam in uh, upper Ross river in Townsville. And I was drinking West coast cooler on my second West coast bottle of West coast mob of roos went bouncing past. And as they went bouncing past, I jumped up and went running down the hill, chasing them. Uh, and the hill had long grass and I didn't see in the long grass at the bottom of the hill, There's a big dip and a drain. Uh, and then there was a road and I had this bottle in my hand and I was just chasing these roos. they have jumped across the big, uh, the the drain and I fell into the drain across the drain onto the road with the bottle in my hand and you can probably actually you can see this light brings it up. I've got some really gnarly yeah, scars here and here and these were open right up and you know I don't want to discuss the viewers my son loves this story but you know I was pumping out a spray of blood at least you know three quarters of a meter. I could see all my tendons and flesh and nerves and I could see them separate because I was trying to move my hand and I couldn't. Um, anyway the short version of that story is uh 13 and a half hours of microsurgery two blood transfusions later. I was told, and this is the best part of the story. I was actually told, my mum was overseas at the time. So I was staying with friends when it happened. So it was all very, you know, I guess you could say, I, 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 was, I had this period of 36 to 48 hours where I was alone. I didn't have a lot of people around after the accident. And so it was kind of sinking in. And uh, when the doctor came in after the surgery, he goes, mate, you know, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. We've done the best that we can. But um, you know, you'll end up with maybe 25% use of your hand back um, with physical therapy, but don't worry, you'll be eligible for disability pension you know, when you're old. And I, my first thought was, what kind of a work, you know, and I couldn't fathom it because I'd, you know, as you said in the intro, I'd failed every subject from year one to year 12. And I'm not an ignorant kid at this point. I'm quite a self-aware kid. I knew I was not very academic. I thought, okay, I'm, the only chance that I've got really is as a professional athlete. And so I had professional athletic, you know, becoming a professional sportsman's goggles on. And What um,
1: sport? What was your sport?
0: Look, I I, I could have, you know, I was one of those, I was very gifted in the area of sports. And I think I could have really kind of applied myself to anything, whether it be rugby league or rugby union. Um, I, unfortunately, when the accident happened, I basically threw it all out. I didn't think of anything other than... um, I guess you could say the rehabilitation and it was a big rehab, you know, and especially, and you've got to understand the, the psychological impact of when you tell a 15 year old kid, they're at the most, you know, one of the most formative stages of their life, especially as a man, you know, you're going into that stage. I get told I'm going to be physically disabled. Um, And yeah, then I had to process that and, and, and deal with that. And over the next couple of years, it was one of the most incredible experiences of my life at the time. I thought I was, yeah, you because know, I, I used to wear a bandana around my hand at school because it looked like I tried to commit suicide. And the, you know, some kids, as they do, would spread stories. And yeah, it was a real challenge. But it was one of the most incredible things because it took me, and it's still taking me. Because the only thing I can't do now, I just can't close these fingers. And I'm still working on the point of getting to where I can. I'm still rehabbing to this day, just to give you context. But it took me a good 12, you know, just over 12 months to the point where I got my the use of my hand back. But it was just through nothing but feverish determination and this desire just to, you know, get to an outcome. And that set me up, you know, because, again, it was formative. And rather than, you know, using it as a trauma, go, well, my life could have been great. Oh, one day I may have been a professional footballer, if not for this accident it became the foundation of what I'd call my, resilient, my resilience foundation because it was painful, it was hard, it was difficult. I had to take nine months off school, you know, where the rehab was. It was an hour and a half from my home away on the bus. And so I was an hour and a half into rehab. I was in rehab six days a week, hour and a half to two hours in rehab every day, then an hour and a half home. So I couldn't go to school. So I was off school for nine months, close to 12 months. Uh, And all I was doing is every day,
1: six days a week, grinding at rehab. Well, when you talk about that, how easy is COVID? Like, if it's someone like you. (laughs) (laughs) Now, before we go to (laughs) COVID. Mate, I enjoy COVID. Let's be honest. We're going to get there. But if anyone uses the word pivot on this podcast, we find them. It's gone up now to $10. We can do a pirouette. We can do a backflip, but not a pivot. But that's one, and you often hear an American speaker. And you do you do presentations all over the world now. You know, you hear the American. Hey, I had this life-threatening experience, and you go, oh, one? one, mate, I had seven. <laughs> so, um, yeah. again, not going through chronologically, but like when you have one, let alone seven, what 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 what's the growth with each one? And then I've got a, a fundamental question to ask you. No, it's a really good question because Napoleon Hill even talks about this in his book, Thinking Grey Ridge, rich, rich, about how
0: there are fundamental events in our lives, you know, births, deaths, and marriages. Um, and you know, for me, mortality is one of those things that I don't think a lot of people really respect their mortality. And by virtue of not respecting their mortality, they don't respect time, you know, because time is an expression of our mortality. And so for me, you know, after the first one, I didn't really fully appreciate the impact of what that meant. Yes, I had a a, a traumatic experience that has served me in so many incredible ways, but I didn't really fully understand it. You know, when the second and third uh, experiences happened, because they're a little bit more, I guess you could say, um, in the context of uh, potentially very violent. You know, one of them was two of them in, in the area of security, um, or three actually, in the area of, when I was uh, a private security contractor. And so, you know, there were situations where you know weapons were involved, and you know that kind of gives you a very different perspective. When a gun, when someone puts a gun to your head, you know, it's a very different mortality experience to to you know, for me falling over and cutting my arm open. And so, and then I had the the last one, which I'll I'll flip to. I had a near drowning experience, which was uh, which was pretty significant. That that was pretty pretty heavy. Uh, but the last one, I think, was probably the one that really capped it. And I think that's why I had a few. You know, as I said, and I joked. Andrew, I'm, I'm a, I can be a little bit of a slow learner, but I am. I'm one of these people that I take lessons from every experience. But this this pattern kept on popping up, and I'll be honest with you, I stopped counting because I've got one of these lives, like I, and I say this to my partner all the time. My life is a f- movie. Sorry, I'm not supposed to swear on this podcast. I apologize because there's, I have so much crazy. I've done shit a little bit of passionate
1: life. swearing on this podcast. Okay, <laughs> so under <laughs> the guys Kerwin it's okay because I've uh, seen you at your work I love your enthusiasm. We are allowed, permissible, okay, passionate, passionate swearing. swearing okay. <laughs> but I've lived, you know, and I, I live a crazy life
0: and the most crazy shit happens to me all the time. Uh, and that's why it was it's so nice now to have a video team that can actually follow me and film a lot of the stuff that I do because it's just incredible. But by virtue of that, you know, I have these incredible experiences and, you know, the last one was uh, uh, the stroke. I had a, you know, a, a two and a half centimeter stroke in my superior, right superior parietal. Um, and that one, the doctors, again, they were just like sitting there going, we just don't understand. Now, there's this 20-cent piece of scar tissue in my MRI. And they're like, you, well, how are you standing here and talking to us, you know? Um, and it's, that was the one that really made me realize there's a lot more to these experiences because it was, I guess you could say, a little bit existential. Uh, I had a near-death experience. It's the only
1: one I've had so far, touch wood. Um, and that really, yeah, it profoundly touched me. You've answered part of the the underlying question I was going to ask, but why? Like why, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. But I'm putting a thread in this. Uh, I'm assuming it's got something to do with ADHD and your energy, Risk-taking. your personality, yep. uh, your gung ho. You like I do. I, I talk to you. You get the push up guarantee not at the end of the podcast. You get it before we even start. You come kind of like, get a, like, what I looked at. Wizard, Whoa, it's like, yeah. Pool. I don't do anything and I, and a lot of people
0: say this but I don't do anything by halves and I'm one of the most extreme people that I know and I don't say that as a way to compare myself to anyone else it's just very much the way my personality is driven you know I'm just but I don't think it's necessarily always been that way and I think that's really important for people to understand like I come from a background you know ADHD dyslexic also you know post diagnosis SPD and so I'm someone that used to deal with stress in very different ways than most other people. And the reason I do a lot of the crazy stuff I do right now, and yes, ADHD is something that, you know, it's, it's, it's associated with a lot more taking risks and learning how to regulate my systems. Because by virtue of me being SPD, you know, my senses are all turned up high, high, like my sense of smell, my sense of touch, my sense of stress is high. And so for me, I knew that I was a little wound up. And so as a part of my process in life and growing up, I just learned how to... I naturally gravitated towards the things where I had to learn how to regulate the systems in my body. Mm. You know, I learned how to regulate my psychology so I could deal with really high stress stuff. I learned how to regulate my emotions so I could stay really cool and clear. I learned how to regulate stress so I could remain coherent in process orientated high stress situations. And so for me, the more I learned how to do that, the, the more I enjoyed the experience of doing it at an extreme level, like skydiving. I had a fear of heights. So I went and did 200 skydives, but I didn't just skydive like most people would. I, I learned how to skydive very quickly, but then I went straight into uh, head down stand up. And that's where, you know, if you're flat flying, you're traveling at about 220, but when you're doing head down, it's a lot harder, but you're traveling like 310 Ks an hour. It's a very different experience. So I, I wanted to get straight into flat flying and then I pivoted, pivoted I went, so I it $10, then I adapted <laughs> into, uh, I'd, strap a meta, I'd strap a heart rate monitor around my chest and then I'd practice meditating in free fall and practice getting my heart rate under 80 beats per minute. You know, and so for me, they were just like little ways of learning how to adapt to really high pressure, high stress situations, but remain coherent. And the better I got at doing that, the more calculated risks I started to take.
1: How do you adapt to low pressure, low risk situations like reading a book? <laughs> like you're a Byron Bay, right? We're gonna drill into <laughs> that as well. Like seriously, walking yeah, down yeah. a that's a good a question. Beach and just chilling yeah. out.
0: I've I've spent a good portion of my life learning how to downregulate because my systems are so upregulated, mm. and so for me meditation is a huge part of my day. Like I'd meditate at least anywhere between half an hour to a couple of hours a day, every morning, you know, uh, as well as sun gazing. Uh, so for me, you know, I'm very conscious of how my system is, where my system is at, from a stress and emotions perspective. So I can keep it quite balanced because I'm conscious of the fact that when I get out of balance, when I get unregulated, you know, it. It is detrimental to a whole range of functions in my body. I guess the only difference is I'm is maybe a little bit more aware of how my system runs. And so, you know, I know You're when to hugely pull it back. Aware. Learning how to pull it back has yeah. has taken me a long time. You know,
1: I've worked in this domain 20 years with athletes, performers, high achievers. You're one of the most aware people I've met, as far as when you talk about state management, physical, psychological, environmental. But I was curious on that. Like, do you ever just switch it off and apart from even doing meditation, because it yeah. could sound like even a task. They say, all right, mate, I'm going to relax. All right, I'm going to do meditation. I'm going to salute the sun. I'm going to do stargazing. <laughs> you know where I'm going here, Cohen. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, Do yeah. you ever just – here's my passionate swear word. Do you ever just chill the f*** out and do nothing? Oh, look, I'll be honest with you,
0: I'm getting better at it now that I'm back in a fam, a proper family dynamic because my and I went through a divorce like four years ago, separation four years ago, and I was like single for three and a half, almost four years. And so when I had my son, I found I had this level of balance and this ability to chill out. But then when I didn't have my son, I was redlining in between. Mm. And so now what I've discovered, I've got myself, I'm in a new relationship now with a beautiful partner. She's got a nine-year-old daughter. We're in the process of integrating our families. I've gone from being a part-time dad, you know, half the time to now I'm a full-time dad. And so for me, that's been incredible because I go home now and my life is chaos at home. But it's the most beautiful form of chaos and i you probably know this yourself andrew you know there's a there's differences of chaos and to me going home to a crazy household on some levels yes it is a little bit draining but on the other level it's like you know what this is what helps keep me sane you know because i'm like everyone else i've got kids that talk back i've got kids that in some cases won't clean their room you know and there's jobs to be done and that to me i find very i find washing up very therapeutic I'm uh, <laughs> a bit weird like that. No,
1: I hear uh, a number so of people yeah. say that, especially on all the time. Um, you know, go go go! Just washing the dishes for some people, it's a mindful. Oh, now you know, like, our, I don't,
0: I've got a dishwasher, but I don't use it. I'll I'll hand wash, wash. the dishes because it's just
1: mindful. I get it when you go from massive disruption, and, and one of the biggest disruptions you can go through is in a relationship mm-hmm. with kids. Yeah. And then yes. pulling that apart, it pulls apart at the heart. So it can be really it, it's a distraction. It's a fragmentation. I'm really happy to That's hear a, that yeah, you've you've reached yeah. that that place. Thanks, mate. I'm also really happy to see you really step up in the the realm of mental health. You've been announced as an ambassador recently for ADHD. I want to call out Cara, our lovely producer, who rang me up. This is the first she's time amazing. she's done this, Kerlin. She did a brief with you last week. She rang me up. I was in Jeroa uh, writing my next book, getting away from the craziness. You've gone to Byron Bay, I go to Jeroa periodically. And she left a message, Andy, look, I know you're down the south coast, but I just spoke to Kerman and we spoke for longer than you're going to speak to him on the podcast. (laughs) 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 And and Cara has ADHD and she's happy for me to say this, but you touched her in that conversation and you just said a few things to her and obviously to your community now, openly talking Mm. about this. Uh, where, where, when did this genesis start? When did you feel like you had to take a different path? It's a different way of positioning. You know, you, you for 10 or so years, my understanding stood up and, hey, yep. I'm Kerwin and, you know, I'm bulletproof and mm. unstoppable and, it's a real vulnerability. That yeah, question. Look, it's interesting. I, I, um, I talk about my life. Like I've,
0: for twenty years, I've played really well in the in the performance space in business. And you know, I consider myself someone who's obsessed with performance. It just so happens that business is my commercialization. Um, and for me, I've one of the reasons I've I've got to where I am is because I've learned how to work with what I've got. You know, and I've learned how to address the things that I've that I that I'm dealing with. But for me, I never really set out to, you know, help. People necessarily with ADHD. I never really helped to set out to help people with dyslexia or addiction or, you know, parenting. Cause like, this is the thing right now, my parenting content is, is, Now we've got over hundred million parenting views just on some of our content, our content around mental health, our content around health. You know, we've got 70% of our audience on social media. They're not even in business, Andrew. You know, these are people who are just everyday people. And so for me, I think the reason it's touched so many people is because I just share what I'm, what's going on for me, Mm. you know, but I also share the journey of getting to know myself because when you get to know yourself and you've been introduced to parts of yourself, but you've been told that they're bad oh, you've got ADHD, I'm so sorry. It's an attention Def, you know, it's attention deficit disorder. You've got a deficit disorder. So well, that's not a nice label. And so, you know, even talking to, um, is it Emily? Kara. Uh, Sorry, Kara. Even talking to Kara, like just hearing... The, the the she even expressed, she said, I went through grief when I got the diagnosis and I said to her, what do you feel like you lost? You know, cause we grieve when we feel like we've lost something. And, you know, we had a beautiful conversation and this is what I like to do is just share a different perspective because I know all the bad stuff about ADHD. I know all the bad stuff about dyslexia, all the bad stuff about addiction, all the bad stuff about, you know, SPD and being on the spectrum. But I've also spent a disproportionate amount of my life looking at, okay, so what's the benefit of that bad mm. thing? you know how does that benefit me what skill has that given me what knowledge has that given me what experience what perspective you know cuz i i believe you know we live in a dual a dual a world that is governed by duality you know and that reigns all the way up to our psychology and so there's a balance to everything the universe is constantly seeking balance it's our psychology that puts things out of balance and so when we look at certain characteristics that we express and we're only told all of the bad things about it and we're told that this is the only way that you can manage it is through you know medication it doesn't make people feel good, and one of the things I've learned is, yes, when you have the ADHD brain, your brain is working differently. It has what, and this is the funny thing: when they look at the ADHD brain, they say the ADHD brain is maladaptive, or it's maladapted. So it's 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 adapted differently to the environment, and as a result, it's got different profiles of hormones, different profiles of chemicals, uh, and when you understand that, then you can use that. But when you're trying to use, and and I, I say this with a lot of you know a, a lot of I guess you could say, I want people to really hear what I'm saying now. We walk around, every single person's planet walks around with a, t- a trillion dollar piece of bio hardware, you know, between their ears. And some of them have been programmed and wired a little bit differently. But whether it's ADHD, dyslexia, SPD, or some firm of, you know, some, something on the spectrum, it's all been tuned, but it's a trillion dollar piece of hardware and software. But no one was ever given the user's manual. You know, but if there was a user's manual, step one would be get to know the equipment. <laughs> get to know the operating system. Well, I think and you're doing an ser-
1: okay job in getting to know the equipment. And I want to tell you a story because I, I was thinking about this story and it really touched me, but it impacted one of my best mates even more. We're in Byron Bay. Once a year, uh, my mate's from Dubbo, Mario, Ego, Lapo, Dino, right? So <laughs> finished school in Dubbo. Wow, that's <laughs> a, lot of, that's yeah. a lot of O's, right? And uh, we have a Hof site, a husband off site. Once a year, we go to a central location. But We're in Byron Bay. We're walking along and Dino and I were going to meet the other boys at the Byron Bay pub. And there's a guy on the corner and he said, do you want to hear a joke? And I went, oh, yeah, sure, mate. Like I, I love seeing a bus car, you know, someone having a crack and yeah, to, to, I'd love to hear a joke. He said, give me a country. I went, what do you mean? He said, you give me a country, I'll give you the capital city and I'll weave that into a joke. I went, no way. I said, um, and Dino, Dino's a really smart guy. He said, or Guinea. And this guy, his name was Chris Malaba. Let me tell you a joke about Malaba. Bang. It was just on the spot. We went to all these obscure countries. Wow. And I just said, Chris, how do you do that? He said, oh, I've got autism. It's my superpower. And Dino said, my young guy's got autism. And that's the first time I've heard someone say it's a superpower. He's got homeschooling. Mm. And it really touched, Dino. You know? like we had a, mm. a, a, a moment later after a beer. Like Dino will listen to this again. it wasn't a moment. I just spoke to you. But it was – I could see for Dino the fact that Chris had said, what is his superpower? And I thought that was beautiful. Yeah. So when I hear you yeah, talk about ADHD, post-traumatic stress disorder, dyslexia, you've turned that into a superpower.
0: Absolutely. And I can't tell you how many parents – Thousands, if not tens of thousands of messages I received for parents and partners of people who go, thank you so much for that perspective. I just shared that video and they're now looking at that as a superpower.
1: Mm.
0: And um, imagine that shift in perspective.
1: Mm. So it's just that, it was very touch potential of
0: that? Yeah, and it's beautiful. I'm, I'm I'm stoked to hear that, mate.
1: We've all had the conversations about fear, anxiety, working from home, leading remote and all that stuff. Uh, so I don't want to drill down into that today. If people want that, you've got sure. loads of content. We'll give in the show notes where to find Kerwin. <laughs> How can you not find Kerwin? Like, you know, and I should have said this at the start. Disclaimer, ladies and gentlemen, if you're watching this on the videocast, if you're listening, you might need to dial it down to half. Okay, this guy moves <laughs> fast. He talks fast. <laughs> but you and did if move I'm fast. I'm device,
0: I'm now going to follow you on Facebook. I okay, guarantee yeah. that, so. <laughs>
1: you, you moved really fast with COVID. You were at Darling Harbour. Oh, yes, Harbor. in that respect, yeah. Yeah, and you moved really quickly. Yep. So set the scene for us, how you relocated your business and you ended up in Byron Bay like that.
0: Yeah, look um – a lot of preparation I'm someone who's natu- who naturally gathers a lot of data I love and because one of the things I've able to, been able to correlate the more data I have, the more intuitive I am and so for me I like to just consume a lot of and I can consume you know if I'm been, if I'm on the road, if I'm traveling I can consume six to six to seven to eight hours a day of just data you know different sites, information sites news sites blogs and so and this is great in context here because covid came on my radar january 4 because i was traveling to new york uh, around that time uh, and it was january 15th that i put in my first order i rang my pa from um, january 18th i rang my ea from new york and i said listen you need to order 200 masks now i sent her a text message saying order 200 masks and then i I rang her later that night as I was about to, um, uh, to go to dinner. I said, have you ordered those 200 masks? She said, no, no, not yet. I'll get around to it next week. And I was like, are you kidding me? Do not around. You need to get these 200 masks and you need to order them tonight before you go home. Now, setting the scene, I was about to go on the road for 30 days and I was going to do 30 planes in 30, planes in 30 days in about two weeks time. And so I had seen what was happening in China. I knew at this point, uh, you know, 18th of January, China shut down. And I'm talking about this on video. I'm like, why is no one talking about China shut down right now? There's going to be a massive economic impact on this. There's going to be a massive production impact on this. There's gonna, this is going to create a shit show because everyone ships out of China, and no, and money's coming out of Ch- everything shut down in China. And I'm like, why the fuck is no one talking about this? And then t- January 24, I land in Sydney, and it was January 25 and 26. We had our planning and we created our first bio threat security response plan. And so then I go on the road for 30 days and I'm everywhere I go in all capital cities, I'm like, why is no one f- talking about this COVID? You know, trying to shut down, look at what's going on in Spain right now. Everyone's gonna need to wake up. There's gonna be lockdowns coming. You guys need to get your shit together. And so I was on the road for 30 days. And this is in February, fucking preaching. Uh, and no one, everyone's like, oh yeah, okay, okay. And then it wasn't until March, we were in the middle of an event. We had 380 people in the Grand Ballroom at Star City and government was still two weeks away from, two and a half, three weeks away from shutdown. And I knew at that point, I'm, I'm going to be a super spreader at this event if someone's got it, because I'm going to get hugged by these people at least three or four times two days in, I'd asked them not to socially connect, but they kept doing it, you know, because Victoria, and I just said, you know what, I'm going to make the call. I'm going to shut the event down, but here's what we're going to do. We are going to put all of you in your hotel rooms and we're going to turn this room into a broadcast studio. And we did that in there in 46 minutes. So we completed the delivery of the entire event. We had another two and a half days to deliver but we put everyone in their hotel rooms. We took everything virtual dinners, virtual fucking everything, everything, virtual breakouts, masterminds, you name it, the whole kit and caboodle. And so our clients are like, Holy crap. Not only did have, they been getting the rhetoric to prepare, then they got to, got to source adapt. I won't use the word pivot, you know, in the middle of an event, they got to see the video of how I explained it to my team. They got to see the actual, how we explained it to them. Um, and so by that point, I think by Sunday, by the time the event finished, it's still like 12th of March or 13th of March or something, I just said to the team, right, okay, I'm taking the executive team up to Byron Bay. We've got everyone remote. We made the decision that everyone was going to go remote on Thursday. I think it was at like 4.50 and everyone was remote by 5 p.m. the next day. And oh. this is before government had done the shutdown as well. So, so yeah, two, we're about two things. seven, yeah, seven
1: two things there. Eh? Before we go on to the next thing, I want to just free back this truck up. To go broadcast and set up an event center and have everyone in their rooms. It's it's very funny, right? Everyone's gone to this conference, woohoo, and I'm in my room and it's virtual. Yeah. But that was that was quick. And we Massive. know with digital, Massive. you start with digital really bad. Like yeah, when you first do your your foray into digital. So for anyone listening to this who's just starting, get over it. It's never gonna be perfect, especially to start with. So you start digital really bad, then you're bad. Yeah. Then you're okay. Then you're good. And then you're really good. That takes time. So you didn't do that in yes. an hour and a half and go, right, let's go through really bad to bad to good. You'd invested. <laughs> and, yeah. and so I wanted, the first thing I want to pick up, not just to the investment, but also with your social media, it's it's different. So you've invested a lot in social. You have people who follow you. Um, the, to To draw someone parallel, you're not him at all. You've got shades of him, but the Gary Vaychuk, the vicarious learning through you. So I've noticed that, Kerwin, and it's obviously something you've consciously thought about. Rather than curating or we often produce content, hey, look at yes. my wonderful life. Create you obviously got to a stage way back so you could future-proof and move quick both on social and with events. on so I'm going, hey, just follow me around. This is me. This is Raw. Well, do you know
0: how that happened? And this happened before. Obviously, it was as a result of advice that I've been given. But as a natural consequence, it got it, it happened because I didn't have the time in my schedule to sit down and create content. And so mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? The easiest way that this is going to happen is if if everyone just if one dude just follows me with a camera, you film everything I do and I say at least once or twice a day. I'm going to say something funny, and I'm going to say something smart. So as long as you get that, you know, we should be good. And my hit rate, you know, I can normally do. And this is where the content. Our content strategy is quite unique, so it's 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 modelled off Gary Vaynerchuk and it's the pillar methodology whereby we create these big documentary style pieces, and by by documentary style it could be twenty minutes, you know, and then what we do a pillar piece of content, like a podcast, like a vlog, and then we break it down into smaller videos, Uh, and that becomes our distribution method and our distribution model, and Mm. yeah, it's worked really well.
1: So I've I've left an open loop there. I want to try and bring it together. That strategy that you had to future proof was going out and doing that on social so you learned about videography and audio and cutting stuff up and Correct. getting messages yeah. and running parallel with that, you're running events. Do you think those two things dovetailed and that's what allowed you to actually make that shift in March? Or was it was there even more planning than that?
0: Look, who knows? I, I honestly think the reason I was able to move so quickly is because I had the information and I was, I was prepared. You know, I had a plan. I knew exactly what I was going to do on January 24th. You know, this is like still, you know, six weeks, eight, well, no, more, two months before, before shutdown. And uh, this is actually a really interesting segue. And this might, I don't know if this is going to benefit anyone, but I, I saw so much value in the process of gathering data mm-hmm. that I actually opened or created. And I don't know if I told you this, Andrew, an intelligence division within the company. No,
1: didn't And so realize. what that
0: initially looked like, actually, this is going to help pair well with the story. Because when this event was going on, up until that point, I was spending eight hours a day a day consuming media. Um, you know, uh, above the line, below the line media. And when the event happened, I was like, I don't have the time to be watching press briefings and, you know, everything else. And so I employed four people, two within my team and two VAs, and their job was to 24 hours a day. And they did this for three, four weeks solid, uh, was to produce a report every hour. On the hour of what was happening and where the outbreaks were happening and what was happening and what were the government's response to the outbreaks and their styles of lockdown and so as a result you know i had four people 24 hours a day it was at start of every hour i think it was for the no that was the first four days every hour and then went back to four times a day um and now it's back to just once a day but to give you context we've gone from having four people in the intelligence team we now have two, but it's led by, you know, someone who has 20 years special operations, you know, Afghanistan, Iraq, um, you know, signals intelligence. So someone who's a proper, you know, 20 year veteran as an intelligence officer in combat, in combat experiences and high, high stakes stuff, now runs our intelligence division, whereby we produce an intelligence report every single day based on geo-COVID, uh, geopolitical, geo-military, geo-business, geo-finance, and a little bit of other stuff kind of thrown in there. Oh, geo-military, yeah, the con- but we also look at hot hotspot conflicts um and can deep dive into any particular subject matter where we go oh okay something's popping up here and this kind of extends itself to the importance of having good information make good decisions and the reason that we were able to adapt so fast yes it was the intersection of many things coming together but i just had good good information and that's what intelligence is how do you gather information it's not just information it's information that actually helps you make better decisions Mm. now we're actually producing and i'm it's a little bit early here, but it's in beta right now. This service, I've now started giving it to my clients every single day, giving them the intelligence brief and they're fucking losing their minds because they're going, oh my God, we're getting access to information. Because when you consider the amount of, and this is the part that really landed for me, when you consider the amount of time that we spend consuming information to make decisions, it's most people, it's either not enough or it's too much. For me, eight hours a day, way too much. Okay, How do you or have as, a life and get,
1: a family and I run a,
0: and I run a business. Do you sleep at the same time? Whereas I get a fifteen-minute brief at the end of every day that is essentially captured from you know twenty-four hours of research, but not just mainstream mainstream. I'm talking across the board, solid, credible intelligence sources, credible information sources, not not mainstream media in every scenario. And so as a result, every morning I can wake up, I've got all the information, okay, and I can make really good decisions. Mm. And that's the difference between information and intelligence. Information is it's 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 unverified, it's uncredible. You don't know where it's come from. Intelligence is verified, it's credible, and so it's created this not only this new division, but it's a, a product that's now in beta that we're probably going to release at some point because I just didn't realize it was going to be so popular because it's gone from how do you take eight hours of surfing information and get fifteen minutes of pure You're distributing and doing the
1: hard work for others so they ah, can get the nuggets. Man, it's it's real information. There's a geo you've you've missed off the conversation. There's another geo I want to add to your list. Which one? Geo Chill. Hey, bro. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm in Byron Bay, man. I am I know, in chill. I was chill just wondering Central where was your Bay.
1: intelligence to uh, go to Byron Bay? Oh, to get
0: a Byron? Well, I also knew Byron uh yeah, it's it's look, there's a lot there's a range of stories, but there's there's a few reasons for Byron. I knew Byron was gonna
1: be uh What a safe stories spot can you tell us in the in public domain? Come on, start with those ones.
0: Uh well, first of all, I knew it wasn't gonna necessarily get Well, early stage, I didn't think it was going to get hotspot status because it was regional. I knew as a regional center, it wasn't going to get shut down. Uh, I knew that the lockdown was going to go for at least nine to 18 months. And so I was telling all my clients, wherever you want to be for the next nine to 18 months, go there now. And this is before, this is two and a half weeks before lockdown. I said, because when lockdown happens, it'll be fast. It could be slow. It could be fast, but you want to be wherever you want to be for the next nine to 18 months. And I just thought about it. I was like, you know, I've wanted to move to Byron Bay for 20 years. You know, it's protected in so many ways from everything from nuclear fallout to you know a range of different things. And uh, as a result, I was just like, stuff it. I've been wanting to move here for 20 years. Mm-hmm. I'm moving to Byron. And so that was the main driver behind that. So, but I also knew it's very safe, it's regional, it doesn't get shut down. You're you gonna be able to move freely. Beautiful place. But yeah. not
1: only did you but move, I just knew the
0: cities were gonna get locked down and you know, you wouldn't have been able to move around. Yeah. So I just and that to me is like nightmare.
1: So I'm not surprised you and Noah, you're your lovely son, and when you mention Noah, you light up. Like even now, you're glowing. So on the video, you light up, and I see your yeah. social media post. And you know, business, business, great content. And Noah, and like the energy level. It just it's a different energy, right? It's love. It's it's unconditional love. Yeah. I would not have been surprised at all to see that you and Noah have moved to Byron, but you moved your leadership team, so. The question I've got, or the image I've got, is you're all walking around a house playing Jack Johnson. Uh, <laughs> is it, are you in a commune in a same house? Or had, uh, tell, tell me about we, the we logistics. All, all, of, I rented that. everyone houses initially close together,
0: because <clears throat> we were like, okay, everything's going to go into lockdown. We're a live events company.
1: So how, how many people, all right. like specifically?
0: Uh, well, there's 70 people, and 76 was in the company at the time, but we moved, I think it was 12 people up.
1: Plus families? Um as well,
0: I convinced my ex-wife in three days to move from Sydney to Byron, but it wasn't right. a, it was it was, well? It wasn't a hard influence, but it was still. So yeah, that was basically it. Yeah, so that was it was, and we moved quickly. But the funny thing was, when we got up here, I'd said to Marie, my CIO, my Marie will go up to Byron Bay, and lockdown will come in, and we'll have a hot, we'll have a break for three months, and we'll just slow down because we were exhausted, and it was only March, and then we. <laughs> lockdown happens and I have never worked so hard Andrew in my, those 11 weeks after lockdown were a sprint. But here's the, here's what, here's what was interesting. I wasn't sprinting to save my business. I was sprinting to support it because I've got three, at that point 380 clients at a high level that I'm supporting, you know? So we were sprinting to save them. And this is, this is the beauty of it. Like we're very resilient. We're, we're very well capitalized. But when you look at our clients in terms of how they've their resolve through through uh, through COVID, we had seven that have gone into some form of you know slowdown or hibernation, but we've got service industries and product industries that are having record months, record year-to-dates, record quarters, and the reason being is because we got ahead, we got all of our businesses ahead of it, we got all of mm. our clients ahead of it, and then we supported them through the process of the adaptation, not pivot. Um, and as a result, we sprinted our ass off for eleven weeks didn't lose one client. They were all above board and we've, yeah, it's created an enormous level of success. So yeah.
1: It's a nice story. I was wondering how that looked. I just had these images of, Hey, Moonbeam. Hey, Kerwin. Where are oh, the only
0: thing that changed is I started meditating on the beach in the mornings. Nice. So I'd get up in the mornings and I'd go out and I'd meditate on the beach. And I started spending more time at the beach in the afternoons as well. So I did kind of bookend a little bit of balance in there, yeah. but those first 11 weeks were punishing. And it wasn't just our clients. We were, we, I don't know if you saw, we came up with the Corona Care Package. We were going, we were trying to save everybody. And um, yeah, we did an incredible job at the same time.
1: I've got a question that I didn't even have on the run sheet or in the preparation for this, but out of everything you do, like you you, you even moving to Byron Bay, you don't just move you and Noah and you've your lovely new blended family now and your ex-wife and it's the logistics of that, right? I'm tired. We're halfway through this interview, right? When are you at your happiest? In a week, in a period, like when are you just close your eyes? Such a good question. Close your eyes.
0: Yeah.
1: Forget the intelligence. Forget the hundred thousand plus businesses and millions of downloads, and it's 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 great. You know, love it. When are you at your happiest? When are you at your calmest? When are you just being?
0: There's there's two scenarios that pop into my head. And maybe this is the father of me. But the first one was just when I'm when I'm in the arms of my partner, like just lying in bed and, I, and we're just holding each other. I swear to God, time stands still. Um, and I for some reason we seem to um, yeah, we seem to resonate at a level where we just have to touch each other and we both go into calm. And it's really quite profound. Um, and the second one would be when I'm doing the same thing with my son. Um, so yeah, for me it's very much it's when it's when I'm in a physical contact with someone I love. It really does mm. ground me.
1: Feel the difference in energy. Massive. Now, it's nice. I was getting tired.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was burning you out. Sorry, mate.
1: No, no, no. It's, it's I love your energy, and I said you know i I'd, I'd, I'd been following you for a while, and you're Rip Van Winkle. You know he became an overnight success in twenty years. Yeah. and I'm sure you've had Basically, people say to you, "Oh, cool!" Yeah. I first heard about you yeah. 2016, 2017. That's, that, that's when most people. That's when you had a real bounce. That's but when we bounced up. You've been doing this media. for 20 yeah. years. Yeah, 20 over years. Well,
0: over 20 years now. Yeah, so it's been a long time. But that's, I think, is an important part of the story, because a lot of people assume that you know any form of success and mastery is achieved. Sometimes just by doing small things and it's not, it really is. And that's, I think the biggest thing around mastery. I think this is the same school of thought as you. It's it, When you really commit to mastery, you realize it's not even about the mastery. It's just about the process. Mm. And the more you repeat that process, the better and easier and the more flow. And I think that's the ultimate outcome here is the more flow our lives have.
1: So how do you keep up the intensity? And it's, it's nice to shift, but we'll go back. But I think when for people listening and watching this, <laughs> you'll actually see it'll be like bang, 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 sparks, 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 and then ah, oh, we're gonna finish hard, right? This is this is a classic yeah. keynote, right? You, you go hard, and then you have the reflective face and then you go hard. <laughs> um, but what do you have in your sort of skill set for sustainability? Whether it's physical, psychological, team,
0: yeah great question for me when we look at the physical side routines are everything to me um and it might sound a little boring you know that people go "Oh, you have to do a routine every day well first of all no i don't do all my routines every day but everybody has routines Yeah, you know, brushing your teeth is a routine and if you do it at the same time every morning and you can train yourself to do it at the same same time every morning and you've done it for the last 30 40 50 years what else can you train yourself to do every single morning that would be a benefit outside of just making your teeth whiter well, and your what breath what does pressure? your
1: morning look like apart from trimming that beautifully trimmed beard and those pearly whites what what's um, your morning routine what's it look like my normal morning routine when i'm in flow is i will
0: normally wake up and i'm i'm not a i wouldn't say i'm a great sleeper um, I've got a, a gene switch where my I don't produce melatonin properly. So as a result, I'm a very light sleeper. So I normally wake up anywhere between 3 to four thirty, five o'clock every morning. And so at that time in the morning, I find I don't like to get up and get creative and get on the computer. I just like to sit up in bed or go out into the balcony or go down the beach and just meditate. To me, that is the witching hour. It is the best time of the day to meditate. The, you'll, for me, I have the best meditations of my life. You know between three thirty and uh and six in the morning and so normally when about six rolls round, that's when i'll start i'll go down to the beach or i'll go outside and start sun gazing for me i've had some challenges with my short sight in the last couple of months and so i've been hacking that and one of the things that's been profound in terms of reversing short sight is sun gazing every day mm. so that's been profound and then i'll come in and i'll juice and um for the last probably eight months, I was doing about 400 mils of lemon juice about five days a week. Uh, I've stopped that now. I've now converted to a carrot and celery mix. So every single morning, and it sounds monotonous, but I have someone that makes sure that they deliver it the night before. So every morning when I wake up, it's there. I don't have to sit there and chew celery. Uh, and, and then the I get on gazing. with my day. For people
1: who aren't familiar with sun gazing, can you explain what that is, what it looks like?
0: Yeah, sun gazing is an ancient ritual where you basically stare at the sun, but you do it at very specific and prescribed times of the day for specific and prescribed times. Because when you start to lose sight in your eye, especially short sight, what happens is the, 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 the lens stops flexing. And the reason in most cases it stops flexing is because it's not being Use and when it stops flexing, it doesn't allow as much light in, and so therefore, you know, we lose sight in low light situations. And so, what we've got to do in order to get the lens working is you have to flex the lens and you have to get in as much light as possible. And so, if you stare at the sun, you know, for the first let's call it you know 30 minutes every morning, just as it cracks the horizon until it gets no more than three fingers above the you know of the horizon to the top, if you start with your eyes closed. You know, letting the light in, it actually starts to let more light into your eye. And so, as a result, you actually let more light into the lens, and the lens actually becomes uh, more flexible and meditative
1: as well. Like, when you, it's it's very meditative. Holy crap, it lights you
0: up, endorphins, you name it. Like, it, what it does for your hormones is phenomenal. Like, I I started doing it for my eyesight, but then I was like, holy crap, this is like some of the best meditations I've had. I've been staring into the sun.
1: Or if you You take your shoes off. you know, get into grounding. I can There's lots feel of energy. When I stare
0: in the sun, my whole brain, like, like fire up and I just feel it firing up and all the way around, and your brain just feels wow. alive. And then as you build up, you can start staring, open your eyes a bit more, a bit more, a bit more. And, you know, now I can stare straight in the sun for 10, 15 minutes, bang on. And I walk away. Well, then I'll put my eyes over to do the, the negative. And I'll do some acupressure around my face, but then I walk back and I can see the pixels on my phone. It's just mm. incredible.
1: So I just wanted to uh, have a clear delineation because there's been a bit in the papers recently about perennial gazing. Uh, yeah, that's anal different. gazing. Yeah, not the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Animal sun gazing. Uh, I yeah, want to give the or, or view, people know the perineum yeah. and you know, it's that getting some sunshine, but very different. That's a big word, about. Andrew. You should know not to use big words around me. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, really interesting when you set that up, you said when I'm in flow. So that's when Mm -hmm. everything's in flow. What about when you're not in flow?
0: But I'm not like? in flow. Ah, uh, gosh! I won't meditate in the morning. I'll wake up. Uh, I haven't. Uh, and again, I guess I think it's really important to probably create a, a bit more of a distinction with that distinction because sometimes I won't be in flow with my routines, but I'll be in flow with life. So for the last week and a half, I haven't been meditating every morning, but I've been having beautiful cuddles in the morning with my partner, you know, and then waking up, having the kids come in, getting up, making the kids breakfast. And so, for me, it's a different kind of flow. And so, for me, I have my performance routines and I will live my performance routines probably like 70% of the time. And then, on the other 30% of the time, I just live like a normal
1: person. I'm going to play if that I back wanna, to you. I don't wanna... This is what that looked like. Um, and then I have cuddles with my beautiful. There's a shift. This is good, Kerwin. Um, it's great. I, I didn't it's know. But look, I, I had an idea what we're going to talk know about today. No, right? I didn't know we were going <laughs> to get you to close your eyes and breathe and you know, actually show people that auditory or to listen to the change, but watch the change. So Mm. you've got great state management, you've got great self-awareness, you do all this intelligence gathering and you've got really good risk assessment. I can imagine there's some people listening, watching this going, where do I start? Let's paint the picture. They've got a coffee cart in a a city or a town that hasn't had much traffic. They've got a business that hasn't, through no fault of their own, really been able to do the, the big shift into digital. Where do they start? Or it could be a business that's been going along for a while and is sort of on that digital journey halfway. What's your advice to people? Like, where on earth do you start?
0: Look, I think the first thing, the first place you start, and this might sound a bit cliche, is you start with yourself because you know you're not going to be able to find a solution, to any outcome, if you're not in a good state of mind you know and if you're not looking at things with with proper perspective and so you know the first place I'd start is with yourself the second place I'd start with is by the simple question what other what way, what other ways have I got that I can provide value with the existing clients that I've got what are there other what other ways can I deliver product what other ways can I deliver a service you know it was interesting because I had um this is going to be really con- potentially quite confronting. In the middle of that event, it was on the day two before shutdown. I had a client stand up and he goes, oh, this is my business. You know, this is what it is. You need. Can you just tell me what I need to do right now in order to survive? And I said, no. I said, that's your fucking job to work it out. I'll just ask you, the, I'll ask you some questions and then you need to ask better questions and then you need to keep the process going. And that was really confronting to him because people are like, oh, I mean, you mean, I've paid you for advice. Don't get me wrong. I'll provide the frameworks, the processes, the creative, but we've got to learn how to fix our own problems. And it starts with, you know, how do we think? you know, where am I looking for the information? Where am I looking for advice? The second thing will be looking at commercialization. What am I doing right now in order to commercialize? What am I doing to make a sale right now? You know, because I've got, we've got to that point in our own organization because there's a live events company to put into context. We're a multiple eight figure business, but we've taken a 10, $12 million hit this year. And so based on the fact that we're very well capitalized, it's been a bit of a speed bump, but it still hurts. But by virtue of that, we've had to have situations where we sit down and go, right, guys, what do we do right now in order to maximize our cash flow? What other ideas? ideas, products, you know, funnels, legions, relationships, like start actually thinking for ourselves rather than sitting there going, oh, I'm 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 screwed. There's nothing I can do. Everyone else is screwed.
1: Where have you, you cut know, back in your time. business? So I imagine moving people up to bar and uh, that that that's expense. Going digital is expense. And you've gone next level. I want to get to that in a moment as well. But where yep. have you cut back? Because it's interesting in our business, Co. And I looked question. at a number of things and just went Do I really need that? A few Mm. consultants, a few people were giving advice. Um, Lovely people, but just made the decision that we lost 90% of revenue um, because I'd been playing with digital, but not fast enough. Nothing like a global pandemic to get you to catch up. So yeah, where did you cut back?
0: Look, we didn't cut back at all until maybe two weeks ago. Because as I said, we're very well capitalized. We're very intelligent. I run this business. I run all my businesses like publicly listed companies. So you know, we're very secure, but after let's call it um, nine months ten months in looking at it and going right everything is trending in the right direction digital is trending broadcast is trending live getting back on track is trending but like the same thing you said we looked at our footprint and went man we have too many people yes you know we it worked when you're at a 30 million dollar business but now at this level it still works but it causes enough enough discomfort on the bottom line for you to go hmm are we a little bit of a fat Labrador? And so we went to, um, yeah, we... we happy though, fat Labradors are happy. Like They're, they're, they're cute they and you give them, fappy, them a little very cuddle, very and they, they wag. But this is, a, again, another important thing that we then did, and this is a beautiful thing about having a little intelligence division. I got my intelligence guide just to run some mapping reports to look at uh, productivity and cultural alignment. We basically looked at where was their excesses of capacity and so we identified some critical areas, and one of those areas um, was in the areas of filmmaking. And now we produce a lot of content. And to give you context, we have up until recently we had about nine filmmakers that were editing all day, every single day, you know, for a range of different platforms. And so we've pulled back uh, in the area of 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 film because nine, it's a bit it's a bit excessive anyway. We do do documentaries as well.
1: That's a cricket team. So there's much oh, It's more it is, than a netball team. Just-
0: Our marketing team at one stage was like twenty-two people, and I was like, "Guys, we need. This is just getting silly." Um, and so we've cut back in marketing, we've cut back in video, in design, um, so it's just on that, in, just so I
1: don't lose that, that, is there a law of diminishing returns on marketing? Like if you do, Well, here's the thing, you, you've got to be careful
0: where you cut back in marketing. So for me, I I'm so glad you pulled me up on that. Cause that was really a dangerous comment. The areas of marketing where we pulled back is when we had excess capacities, you know, so we had, you know, three designers. So we went back to two designers you know, nine filmmakers. We went back to five filmmakers, um, uh, we outsourced a few different roles and, and a few bits and pieces. But when it came to, and let's, let me be clear, let me be clear here. When it came to uh, acquisitions and paid media, no, we didn't touch that. Yeah, because acquisitions and paid media, they're the guys that keep the floodgates open at the front end, mm. you know, of being able to generate leads and bring leads in and convert those leads and hand them off to the sales team. Mm. So for me, yeah, it's, I think the biggest challenge that most people have when it cut back when they cut back is they do cut back in the wrong areas versus cutting back in the right areas. And for us, we did an enormous amount of data gathering and looked at all the different functions and the process maps and go, right, where are we losing capacity? Who is, who is, who is performing at the level? Who's not, who is culturally aligned? Who's not, where are the correlations? Uh, And it was tough because, and this is the really hard thing. I didn't get rid of anyone that was bad. That was the challenging thing. And I don't know if you've ever done this, Andrew, but it's the first time in my life. It was very humbling because I've never had to let people go in my entire life.
1: Oh, uh, I've never done, had done a in, in different businesses I've had, and well, in sport, uh, consulting. It's awful. I, I, I don't think anyone no, no. who's compassionate who you know, loves human not, condition not an enjoyable he goes. Hey, I'm, I've got to make five people redundant today. I cannot wait to get to work. It's a terrible thing. No. To do it was not a fun process, but it was one that I'm incredibly grateful for,
0: you know, because everything difficult is incredibly rewarding. And that was, you know, one of the most challenging things. It was very humbling. um, But it was, it was really um, humbling from the perspective of, first of all, letting people go and being seen as someone letting people go. And then secondly, going, shit, I actually let I let this get too big. Mm. You know, I am the reason I'm letting these people go. And the third thing was humbling is like I'm actually letting people go who are good talent, you know, and as a result, we've lined people up with 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 different opportunities where we we've been able to. And that's the tough thing when letting go of good people when you've never had to do it before. And it, uh, mm. it was the a first.
1: Lesson. There's lots of leadership lessons I haven't specifically said cuz like how many interviews do you do in a year?
0: Oh
1: God, I don't know, mate. Dozens and on stage, so you're yeah. always talking. So I didn't want to have these. So I talk a lot. tell me, yeah. what do you think leadership is? But for people, when you listen to this or listen back, there's leadership lessons, self-awareness, yeah. self-regulation, self-efficacy. Albert Bandura would think you are a old mind to work with when you talk about taking taking control of the situation you're in. You know, if you have seven life-threatening situations, it would have been easy to have a pity party, and I'm sure you had a few, uh, but you know, you've changed the narrative. So I haven't specifically said, Kerwin Ray, tell me, what are the five things that you think about leadership? And they've got to start with the letter P or maybe T. <laughs> so let me give you a flip for something that's a bit different. What's bad leadership? Like what's really bad leadership? uh bad leadership is a bad example like it's to me what you walk past is what
0: is the example that you set the example you walk past the example you set oh, I like and that. i think bad leadership is where you just you don't hold any standards you know jocko willink i'm pretty sure you're familiar with him navy seal extraordinaire he says in his book Extreme like your, leadership, there are no bad there are, are no bad teams you. there are just bad leaders yeah. you've interviewed him no like yours Oh, he's a phenomenal guy. But he says there's no bad teams, there's just bad leaders. And so for me, I think bad leadership is when you don't have a solid example that's visible. Mm. You know, you might have strong management, but to me, and this doesn't really answer your question, it kind of it kind of flips it back. To me, leadership is a, is a game of visibility. You know, it's not a game of necessarily strategy, although that's a part of it. It's not a game of tactics, although that's a part of it. It's a game of how visible are you strategically? How visible are you tactically in the ways that inspire people based on the standard which you hold in the way that you execute in different functions and make people go, I want to be more like that. I want to be better, you know? Uh, and that to me, bad leadership is, a, is when you're just not aware of the example you're setting or you're not setting one at all or you're walking past bad ones.
1: What are you working on? Um, again, it's not something you do to your head of intelligence. What do I need to improve in my leadership after we move to bar? And you have to give me a report <laughs> yeah. every day on the. You know, thing. But what what are you really working on as a leader? So for for me, relationships. Yeah, for for me, it, it, with the shift we've just had, yep. I'm trying to give my team enough information without overloading. And I, I found that hard in the past. I've either given too much or too little. So that that that, that to me, I sometimes need to work on. Uh, yeah. Right. Look, I think for me, it's 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 really connection because
0: the thing with high performance teams is they're like athletes and depending on their level of maturity, they don't always know how to regulate their own systems because they're still you know on their own journey. And so for me, <clears throat> that's one of the most important aspects of relationship management from a leadership perspective is, not, is getting to know your players, getting to know your team so that you know when they need support and you know what types of support, you know when they need to be rested. Um, and I think that's one of the challenges with COVID is it's made us... More effective. Because this was interesting. And I think I don't know if you had the same thing, but I remember two weeks into COVID, I'm like, this is great. i I'm having like 50% less meetings every day, you know. I'm, I'm not, not having flying people everywhere with not stupid shit. But what I didn't realize was all those little got a minute me- meetings, although they were irritating as 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 as, as things can be some of them actually served a really important purpose of connection and building relationship and rapport and, you know, just being out, and that's the thing I can walk through a room and, you know, I've, 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 I've studied behavioral psychology, you know, Paul Ekman, David Matsumoto, uh, Phil Houston from the CIA. So I can walk through a room and I can just read a room instantly. And so for me, when I walk through a room, my team, when my, my team's are old. I don't even have to talk to anyone and I can see what's going on and I can see if, oh shit, that person's having a, that person. And I can just, and so I can work with that. But when I don't see that, you know, at first I was like, wow, I've got all this time. But then I said to Marie, my number two, I said, you know what? We've actually got to take some of that time and invest it in outreach and actually connecting with some people, key people and going, Hey, how are you going? Oh yeah, I'm getting my top stuff. I'm getting my top. No, no, no. How are you going? How are the team going? Mm. You know, w- w- what else is going on? You know? and um when we started doing that it was it was really it
1: was really quite telling yeah.
0: Um, I so yeah, Marie, for me just it's relationships. I'm going to
1: correct you, Marie's your number one. She's brilliant. Like she's, uh, she is.
0: You know what? I should say that. I've, I've actually only said that the other day. I've got to stop calling her my number two. She's my
1: number one. Yeah, you're her number two. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah,
0: I am my number one. I've, I've I'm seen how it works. I did. I have not wanted to be a number one for a long time. Like it's so funny now when people see what I do. It's like, I haven't told
1: you how I met Marie. I don't know. But she made. She probably didn't tell you she either she because it's just a, a small me, yeah. thing. But before I spoke at your event, I went over to get a coffee. You were down at Darling Harbour, and I just got a coffee. And as I'm there, waiting there's this lady next to me and she said, oh, hi, um, what are you doing? I said, I'm at at Cohen's K2 Summit. She said, oh, so am I. And uh, there were a few people behind us. I said, oh, what would you like? I just got her a coffee. I thought she was a participant. So we're walking back. (laughs) (laughs) So I bought her a coffee. I'm about to speak, thinking I'm going to connect, you know, with the audience and just have a chat. And, oh, this is a really nice lady named Marie. And just as we're about to walk in, I said, oh, Marie, what's your business? She said, this (laughs) – (laughs) (laughs) I just went really red red. I had no idea She just cracked up laughing And then when I saw her the following day When I came back and spoke She said, you've worked out what I do now I said, yeah, I've got an idea what you do So humble, such a great operator She is Um, Crystal ball time And uh, actually a mutual friend of ours (laughs) Who also said to say hello, Lisa Messenger. When I did this with Lisa, oh, beautiful woman, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, un, like she talk about unstoppable or hear me raw with her yeah. podcast. So I've, I've I've borrowed this off Lisa because I said I want you to look at the crystal ball, and she did the crystal ball here. Like, so give me your hands or take your hands. Like look in the crystal ball. Tell me what's what's happening for you in the horizon in a couple of years. What does life look like? Are you in Byron? More kids, perhaps another dog. Look, definitely uh depend I hope my kids won't see this.
0: Definitely a dog we're, we're we're definitely looking at a dog, a farm. But um look, we've it's it's an interesting timing of the question because the way I plan strategically is I work in 10-year missions. So every year is a 10-year mission, and a mission is a big, hairy, audacious goal. Like it's it's a massive objective. Uh, a military or- operation kind of that takes time. And so I'm about to reset that now. Um, I'm looking to bring that probably to three to five years, just because the dynamics of the market have changed. There's a lot more things that are changing now. Uh, and so for me, the next three to five years in the crystal ball, yeah, I see myself staying spending a lot more time in Byron, um, but doing a lot more in the broadcast space. We really are going to do um, we've already pivoted in that way, but we're going to move more towards a digital uh, slash hybrid model. We ran our first hybrid event at the Star City Casino. It was absolutely brilliant where we actually had participants on one screen up here, you know, dialing in on Zoom. We had live participants in the room and we had interaction between, but it was absolutely amazing. So more in that space, but um, in, in the family front, more on the family. I, I, honestly, I'm, I'm looking to scale up through scaling more back, Um, not necessarily stepping back, but moving more into areas where I'm finding more natural flow. And it's not that I don't find natural flow and doing what I'm doing right now. I do, but there's an area of life that I really want to delve more into um, in the education space or the area of education, I should say, and that's in the performance space, you know, for the last 20 years I've been known in the business space. Um, But I have created this incredible body of work around performance, And it's not just, you know, I can't even just call it performance psychology. It's performance management. It's from the ground up. It's soup to nuts. And I want to bring that out to market. Um, We started running that program. It was called Power to Create. And I stopped running it when we launched a new model. And it was the most popular program we ever ran. It was for, you know, for, for anyone. You didn't have to necessarily be in business, but it just helped people understand more about themselves, more about their psychology, more about their body, you know, and how to navigate those things interpersonally. From interpersonal relationships, and then you know, in, in experiencing other relationships around me, and so for me, I want to bring more of that back out. I want to start helping a lot more people, not just necessarily in the business space. And I think broadcast is going to give us a great mechanism to do
1: that. I think that nice blend you've got between it's, it's interesting your answer on that. It's the family life, the the Byron, the you know, the geo chill, as well as scaling up. I reckon the juxtaposition between the two, it's the yin and the yang. I reckon that's going to give you your next 10, 20, 30 years, Uh, my thoughts. I think we all – and and I've been on the verge of burning out in the past as well and I've had little reminders and I realise when I'm nurturing myself, my family, my loved ones – it's playing the long game. And that's something that I know a lot of business owners wrestle with as even as I'm saying this, I've got my alter ego going, yeah, you didn't really practice that this time. But it's it's hard, isn't it? But when you get to a stage, I think that is part of you know, our journey. Sounds like I'm on Australian Idol. Thanks for the journey. You haven't seen the enemy, Australia. We have. <laughs> <Come on. laughs> um, mm-hmm. But I think as we mature and adapt, you work out what works for you. You go at it in an intense pace. I love it. But I've seen something different in you today. And, and and it's been really rich, and it's been nice seeing that. I, I haven't Thanks, seen that before.
0: Yeah, and it's new, and I'm and and I'm really enjoying it. And I have like I I've got an Insta family now, like with my partner having a daughter. Like family's been a really big value for me for a very long time, and it's based on, you know, probably the fact that boys breed values. I've brought up by a single mum, you know, and I never really had a big, you know, roaring family. And then when I, um, you know, got married my ex-wife had a big family and i got a bit of exposure to that and so for me i really do find a nice happy place in a solid family unit and what that looks like it doesn't have to be massive it's just that ability to yeah be able to come home and connect with kids come home and connect with a partner in a meaningful way where there's a you know a huge level of acceptance and love
1: and yeah, it's done wonders for me, mate. I can see it's nice. It's the um it's it's the real balance to the go 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 go. And don't yeah. don't ever lose that. That's what we you know, love seeing with you. But the funny thing is, my partner's just like me. We are so alike, it's crazy.
0: But this is where it's really funny. We're both very high energy, but the moment we come together and our skin touches, we both go calm. Hmm. It's really interesting. We don't actually. Jazz it, jack each other up. We really calm each other down. It's really quite interesting. Interesting
1: as well, just unpacking what you just said. Three to five years um, noted. I think a lot of people go, "What's your ten-year plan?" Uh, yeah. You- do a number of events. How many futurists have got up on stage at your events around the world in the last five years and said, hey, case scenario, the world is going to grow four ceramic clogs and stop spinning. We're going to shut boundaries, (laughs) shut borders. No one. And if you got a male or female to do that, they probably would have got booed off stage or you and your team would have gone, oh, she was out there. Yeah, probably get it back for a bit of shock values. So we didn't predict that. So interesting you've narrowed Mm. down to three to five years. And uh, I think that's a real good lesson for most business owners as well. We can have the big horizon, you know, the big audacious, here's the legacy, but I think you got to really bring back, especially in the world now, because we don't know like what's around the corner in six months, let alone six weeks. Mm.
0: But I also think it depends obviously on the business as well, but I'm finding for me, the more I do what I do, the easier it is for me to plan. Um, and I, I don't say that in an, in an obnoxious way, because it's almost like the mission doesn't change. It just evolves. You know, if you're changing tact completely and I'm not changing like right now, we're not changing tact completely, we're just going broadcast, you know, as well as digital it's aligned. Um, but it's, it's just, it's in flow. It just really flows well.
1: Yeah. Is there a quote? Is there a poem? Is there a story? Is there a movie? Is someone, something that gives you inspiration? So many, where would I start? Um,
0: Look, I just—you can't get past Yoda. I'm I'm right into the Mandalorian at the moment, and yeah, the, the best piece of advice that he gave. um, I, and I watched Star Wars like a thousand times, you know, and, and it really kind of echoes the sentiment of commitment. Do you do it or don't? You know, there is no try. Either do it or don't. You know, if you're gonna do it, say you're gonna do it, and just get off your ass and do it. And because if the, if I think there's one major challenge when it comes to you know, the human condition, you know, it's this, it's this thing that we call self-worth. And one of the biggest challenges that we have when it comes to feeling worthy of self, worthy of happiness is actually feeling worthy of us following through on the things that we say we're going to do at a base level for self, you know, and the more we can own a commitment to self and follow through on that, the greater our levels of self-worth and the better just life gets. So, you know, do or do not, there is no try to me. That's just about commitment. You know, if you're going to do something, just commit
1: And just do it. Otherwise, just stop talking about it. It's just painful for everybody. I'm just looking at Wizard, who's the amazing guy who does all the wizardry behind. We have not had one person so that they draw inspiration from Yoda. So that's a a big, big new takeout from today. Hey, have you watched (laughs) Kung Fu Panda with Noah? Like 20 times each one, yeah. I knew you'd love it. Like, you know, just... (laughs) <laughs> I just love his <laughs> messages. They're just awesome. I play them in one of my keynotes and people go, what the – like it's the end of one of my leadership keynotes, leading with optimism. I go, I look at my final messages and I put on Kung Fu Panda and you can see these exactly. Well, but then it gets to the end of it and they go, oh, I get it. I've got to be more like Kung Fu Panda. And Jack Black in that voice, it's just fantastic. He's great. Now, last question. Is there a question you would like me to have asked you? Or you want me to ask you? Or is there a question you'd mm. like to ask me? Oof, question I'd like to be asked. Gosh, that's a tough question. Um, or you can flip it and ask me one.
0: Or mm. well, obviously being a fellow performance obsessive, out of everyone that you've researched in the area of performance, who have you come across that has a really finite understanding about the process of performance that can be applied into a whole range of different areas.
1: I like two things about that. I like the way you paused and reflected and bought time. And that's exactly what I'm doing right now. (laughs) 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 There's not one. Uh, There's not one. And and, uh, interesting you saying you're you're wanting to really get back and do your performance stuff. You do. You're just going to be calling it peak performance or yeah Yeah, because when when you do business stuff you do so I I don't think there's one Kerwin I've been influenced by lots of different people so Clark Perry AIS sports psychologist one of the first sports psychs in Australia really who started the performance psychology not as an athlete when you're feeling stressed or anxious I I learned a lot from Clark and, and some of his work uh, the Power of Full Engagement. I've learned a lot from Human Performance oh,
0: Institute. Phenomenal books. So influential yeah. when
1: I was 27-year-old. I just moved from Hobart. Missed out of my running dream. You know, I had two goals. One, I wanted to break the four-minute mile. Two, I wanted to go to the Olympics and I didn't either. You know, I became a <laughs> consultant. Um, that book was massively influential when I studied uh, coaching psychology at Sydney University and God bless his soul Dr Tony Grant who passed away I got a lot of rigor to coaching psychology I think it had been very intuitive so as a coach and I worked in athletics track and field AFL in sports coaching it's changed but it used to be sports telling so I've had mentors as well so yeah It's really hard to answer, but but what I'm finding, what I'm really enjoying, Kerwin, is going back to some of that and looking at some of the new stuff. Yeah, looking at a lot of the stuff that we do in the corporate world, in the public space, in sport, it crosses over. So that was a very long answer that I draw different information from all different domains. Have you Get got? It. Have you got one that you would recommend apart from yourself?
0: Oh no! And that's where for me, I'm always interested in that space. And I've just, uh, to me, it's just in a process of identifying all the different systems that relate to performance, and then just studying every single one um, and learning how to regulate them through experience and practice mm. and
1: developing process. Mm. I've really enjoyed today. I've uh, I've enjoyed Likewise, the, Yeah, I've enjoyed the. Bang, 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 bang. The shift, the bang, bang, (laughs) bang, and 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 I really, yeah, no, I commend you on. Thanks, mate. Whether it was conscious, subconscious,
0: I think it's it's always there. It's just not everybody gets to see it. Do you know what I mean? And um, I think the context I'm in right now, it's probably just a lot more present. Um, But yeah, it's it's Mm. definitely been there. But um, maybe this is the first
1: time for you. Yeah, it is. It's the first time I've seen it, and the first time I've heard it's it nice, in. Mate. I um, appreciate your, it. The podcast, as but well. I've
0: actually had a lot of people mention as well. Like, there's been definitely a shift. There's, mm. you know, and I am a lot happier now. I, I, I enjoy going. And it's something I never enjoyed going home. It sounds terrible, but I, I just enjoy, you know, the the the. I enjoy the experience that is a family. You know, which is some level of chaos, some level of you know, um, organization and a lot of love, you know. Yeah. I just love that.
1: I think that drives a love lot of people love. to start with, and The the psychological construct is drive. The layman's term, you have a, a mm. beer with your mate in the pub or a champagne with one of your friends. It's called a chip on the shoulder. I think a lot of us when we start, it's you're trying to prove something and I can only imagine that when you're told at 15 your hand's not going to work and disability and all that stuff. Uh, so sort of you then get to a stage where you go, okay, I'm going to get a nice blend between the two and that's, you know, I, I think you're the yin and the yang today nice. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. So for those who want more of and Ray, where should they go? Oh, you can find us everywhere. Uh,
0: Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, YouTube, um, Telegram. But uh, just go to kerwinray.com. You know, and if you're interested in anything to do with performance, and we talk about everything from business, health, relationships, as well as even parenting. Like, I'm so open with my parenting journey. Um, yeah, com. sign up for the newsletter and you'll get heaps of
1: stuff sent out. There's heaps of free stuff on there as well. You are unstoppable. Uh, and I've Damn straight. <laughs> we've seen lots of examples of that. So to, You are unstoppable and we've seen loads of examples today. So Kirwan I really appreciate you joining us today. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate it, brother. Hey, it's Andrew and we hope you enjoyed that episode. We would really appreciate it if you helped us amplify the Strive Stronger with Andrew May podcast by sharing episodes with colleagues and friends and going to iTunes and leaving a rating and review. This really does help us get this message out to a wider audience. And if you would like to know more about how Strive Stronger uplifts teams through optimizing human performance and well-being, make sure you check out strivestronger.com. And if you'd like to know more about my personal practice focusing on all things human performance, go to andrewmade.com, where you can explore the books I have written, including Madgefit which has now sold over 85,000 copies, or book me as a speaker at your next annual conference or company offsite. Or if you'd like to really turbocharge your business and personal success and wake up to a better way of living, working and leading, check out my brand new evidence-based Human Performance Academy, that starts in July. I'm really, really looking forward to getting that going. And if you'd like to receive regular updates from me each month, make sure you subscribe to my monthly e-newsletter, The AM Edition.